Vesmir Kaj hai nej Il mundo Tata Dima Potedo Ngete hai Doala Tid You're listening to The world at your fingertips Good afternoon Hello <laughs> This is new And we, I know we said this last time But this is really new Because rather than sitting at our own individual computers Talking to screens we're sat next to each other. <laughs> this was so weird because I don't know whether to like speak forward or look at you. I mean, I have to look at you because it's the direction of the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> if I look at you, then we're like an inch away from each other's yeah. faces. <laughs> so I'm just like looking away like, don't look at me. I mean, this is what, you know, no budget podcasting is all yeah. about. We're sharing a microphone and um, it's, we're just going to see how it goes. Talking of no budget productions. <sighs> this week. <laughs> This week we're looking at no budget filmmaking. So as a uh, we've well we've done ten episodes now. This is episode number eleven, and we've decided that we're going to look at something more creative this week, filmmaking, which uh, is something very close to both of our hearts. We're obsessed. We are obsessed. Someone stop us. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but before we get into it, Kate, what are you drinking? I am not drinking caffeine, which for one is a plot Ooh. twist. I've got elderflower cordial. And you know what's funny? <laughs> I also have elderflower cordial. What are the chances? <laughs> yeah, so um, even even I think as filmmakers, I'm always surprised by like how even if you think you know stuff about like no budget filmmaking or micro budget filmmaking, there's just so many case studies that have been produced so I looked it up and 188 feature films were produced in the UK in 2019. So that obviously means funded and supported by a major production company. But 188 feature films a year. I don't know if that sounds a lot or not a lot. Well, in comparison to what it used to be, that is quite a lot. If you think of how expensive some of the higher budget films would be, well, most of the time are in the millions. In fact, if it's not in the million, it's not. It's considered low budget. Low budget. So if you think about that, that nearly 200 films in the UK alone are being made every year. And actually, I'm not sure if this plays a part in this statistic, but a lot of the, what a lot of people don't know is that lots of UK based films um, or films by uh, British directors tend to be funded by American production companies. So I don't know whether this these 188 feature films are well, you say produced in the UK, so they probably are by UK production companies, but actually a lot of UK-based films are produced by American production companies because America has a lot more money they can throw towards filmmaking um, than the UK. And I, I learned why, and I'm really sorry, Ruby, my university lecturer, you taught me about the international film industry. There is a reason why we have less. I think it's to do with um, government funding and how Hollywood's kind of built itself up from not having that much uh intervention i think i guess major budget american films probably do better globally because 188 that's across all genres action action's the most popular genre in terms of cinema revenue Mm. and if you think of what hollywood is known for it's tom cruise mission impossible Mm. really high budget whereas we have james bond so james bond and harry potter two of the biggest yeah. uh the two of the most famous and biggest um, harry potter is not action i mean no, like, oh no completely but they're sorry they're both good examples of being uh british understood as british films but they are both funded by american production companies so they're not actually british films 
even know everything about it, so even the directors, pretty much the whole production it's, it all takes place in the UK, but it is funded by Warner Bros. And so Warner then, Bros are American. Yeah, but then are we saying that the owner of the film becomes the production company that funds it and not the writer who create, came up with the idea and everything? Yeah, well, that's that's where, because that's where money basically plays its role because money is how films are made and that's, without money, it can be difficult to make films. And so for a lot of big production films, such as Harry the Harry Potter franchise, you, even though J.K. Rowling wrote those books and she... Oh, I don't know what the ownership rights are, but she she's she, she does have she helped with the screenplay. Okay, she so she, that, yeah. yeah, so she she's right. she's got you know she plays a relatively big role in that. Um, but I don't know whether that means that Warner Bros. But so well, I suppose Warner Bros. also has a big ownership over those films as well, and yeah. so perhaps it's split. But then you know Warner Bros. is American, J.K. Rowling's British, so it's it's hard to know. It's just hard to know, really. I'm not, I'm not I, I wouldn't say I'm a hundred percent sure, but. What I do know is that Harry Potter could not have been made without money and that money didn't come from J.K. Rowling. And everyone knows the famous story of her trying to get those books published and then obviously being made into films that would have, that journey would have like been much easier so if she had like money behind it, but she didn't. So even though the creative part is her idea, well, it's business really. It's that's kind yeah. of, that's kind of what it is. The film industry is, is business. And business revolves around money. Yeah. In the UK, the entertainment in terms of TV and film together are the second highest grossing industry in mm. the UK. And just to give like perspective on scale, that's £3.45 billion in one year is the what just the film industry is grossing. So, and TV together, if you think the amount of television and film that we consume, that goes up every year, I'm guessing. In 2018, I bet it's way more now with Disney Plus with... Yeah. with everything coming out on so many Shame, streaming platforms. Yeah. But um, also, yeah, because obviously for smaller films, the easiest way to get funding is to get funding from multiple sources and multiple production companies. And a lot of time that can be like international ones. So I know a film I worked on was half British funding and half French-Canadian. Yeah. And that meant to get the funding, they had to use three of the main crew members had to be French-Canadian from Quebec. Yes, and that's that's yeah. how it works in uh, a lot of countries where if you go to film there, then there are rules about within the legislation of their, perhaps the film sector of their government system. Um, so, <laughs> so, for example, uh, in South Korea, if you go there to film a film, a certain percentage of the crew have to be employed within the country, mm. which I think is so, like, a, well, I think it's actually a very smart way of doing it. I think it's, you know, it saves big American films going into into South Korea specifically and just taking everyone with them and using, you know, these beautiful spaces in South Korea, but just branding it as something that's American. I think it makes it more acceptable to be able to go into a different country and produce these films, but or like shoot these films, when they're, that particular country also plays a part, whether that yeah, be definitely. the crew, or perhaps if there's like a funding law through that government, or things like that. So I think it's, yeah, it's just a very complex, like the film industry is obviously just so profit-oriented, and it's just comprised of so many different institutions of studios, film marketing. Yeah, film marketing, distribution, sales, um, you know, cinemas. It's such a big, big industry. It's yeah. So yeah, it's so franchise. And powerful in terms of how they represent people, how they represent like most 
kids now, a lot of parents stick them in front of iPads and they watch telly. That's how they learn how people interact from different cultures and, you know, and everything. It's so powerful in terms of impression that it creates within the general public. That includes, so I've talked about it with my international friends, how they grew up watching American films. So they thought England would be like America and mm. that's how they learned about it. Just so interesting, and I think, sorry, just also talking about what you said in terms of getting people from your own country. We were in that webinar the other day on screen skills, weren't we? Mm. And um, they spoke about how, because you can, if you delay a film set an hour, you could lose 100 grand. It's kind of that amount of money yeah. that goes into it. So that's why I think they find people who work, and that's usually from their own country that they've used a lot on a lot of different shoots, mm. and they just move them around because it costs less money to buy the flights than if something went wrong with the people that you're unfamiliar with. But because of coronavirus, they're now having to do that because people can't travel. Only like essential people to the shoot, like the talent and director can travel. And so they are sourcing people from the countries, which I just think is really interesting. And I think it will yeah. be so beneficial for the British and American film industry to have that influence, do you think? Yeah, well, I was going to say, I think actually that in itself, so the kind of the structure of the film industry and the how things work now, I would say, or in the last 20 to 30 years has really changed, and particularly with coronavirus, I think that is really going to have an impact on how the film industry is structured, whether that be in pre-production, production or post-production. So I, I think that, you know, with the rise of Netflix, there's no kind of, there's no longer a clear cut between different national industries as well as different ways of exhibition because of uh, the rise of streaming services like like Netflix, their like marketing with the rise of social media is changing, and that changes how how distribution is working, particularly with uh, particularly at the moment with Corona. There's no uh, no access to cinemas really, so things are getting released online, um, and that I know is causing a lot of uproar at the moment with um, different cinema deals with production companies. So transnational flows of money, of ideas, of talent. And also of how funding can be acquired is a different thing that's also changing because people are looking for, because there are so many new opportunities now in the film industry in comparison to, you know, think back to like the Hollywood era and like the 50s and the 60s, well, the 40s and 50s. It's no longer this like monopoly uh, studio industry. It's no longer, yeah, like a monopoly in industry with uh, different big studios, the big five what they were called back mm -hmm. in the day yeah. film degree knowledge but the uh, so now there are so many different opportunities to try and acquire funding or actually produce films without any funding at all which is what we're talking about today well we've got some examples of low budget and these probably I would say the three most famous examples yeah but like obviously micro budget low budget no budget are all terms that like are so relative yeah. like a micro budget Hollywood film is one million pounds Whereas a micro budget, in my mind, is a hundred pounds, which is like, yeah. but that's how it changes your mindset from being having no money and like student filmmaking yeah, as well, student filmmaking, yeah. and no no budget when it's literally no budget. But um, so a good one is Rocky. I was obsessed with the Rocky franchise. Me <laughs> and my brothers used to watch it all the time. And so there's like seven Rockies in there. Yeah, well, I was told this recently, and I had no idea it was that many. I thought there were, like, yeah. four. And there's Creed and stuff that came oh, out yes. after. yeah. Like, it's such a big uh, franchise. And so the first Rocky, um, they used an unknown person at the time. Like, Sylvester Stallone wasn't that well-known. Mm. And it had a um, budget of a million pounds, but it grossed 225 million worldwide. So Whoa. that profit margin is ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. Like, absolutely insane. So that's sort of... It's almost, for me, 
like in terms of that kind of money, I can't even comprehend it. Mm. Like I can't comprehend spending a million pounds on anything of mine about on a film, which That's, would essentially yeah. be a major risk because it was an unknown star. Um, It'd be interesting to know what um, how that money was acquired though, whether the production companies invested within into Rocky or whether it was like pre-finance or. It'd be interesting to know in more detail. But it's like another one that's quite interesting is uh, the Blair Witch Project, which mm. shot on an initial shooting budget of $35,000 without any major marketing budget and managed to gain box office earnings of $140 million on the domestic opening weekend. And the actors, they were like, it was all, if people have seen it, it's like a horror film produced by a US independent company, Haxon Films. And the plot is present. It's basically found footage left by three missing filmmaking students in '94, and the way that they managed to market that film, it was basically one of the most famous marketing film stories in film history because it was a like extensive and clever use of internet marketing through their website www.blairwitch.com, which is still live if people want to go visit it. It's quite interesting, and it was regarded as an early viral site, and it created an extra screening experience for the viewers and encourage them to be the active investigators in the case and immerse into this invented like mythological world that the film is situated in. Yeah, so that's like early transmedia storytelling really is that using the internet to capitalise that and reach new audiences. Yeah. Because like we said, like most people aren't going to the cinema anymore to watch their films. So, so many different marketing techniques need to be used. But I think... One that is like quite similar to how we understand film is Saw. So that was originally made as a short and they sort of wrote this script about around only being able to afford one room as a set. And so they sort of wrote the narrative of Saw or the horror film about it all being take place in one room. And that was partially because of the budget. So they didn't have the budget to do loads of different locations because that's including like insurance and risk assessments as well for each new location. Yeah. And so it began with a short and then it got picked up by Evolution Entertainment, who were um, like the up and comers in horror films at the time. And so they took a risk on it, but they already knew it was successful because it was a successful short film that they made personally. And then the short got them the budget of like $1.2 million and to be shot in 18 days, which for, that is ridiculous. Like can't even comprehend uh, yeah. That successful a film being shot in 18 days. It is incredible as well because that's that became such a franchise. Yeah. That, and I mean, I'm not going to lie. not I can't say Saw is my kind of film or my kind of franchise, but I have mm. seen the first one and I've seen one of the, I've seen parts of one of the later ones. And the the difference in budget is, is crazy. The, the first one is, you know, it is, it's kind of based around that one. It is still based around that one room, even though it has shots of like different places. But then if you go to one of the later ones, that all of the different locations are so there's much more um I don't know how to describe it there it's like just there you can tell that they've put more money into it whether that be I guess um, they can put more detail in backstories and stuff because they have the money to do it yeah that is what I'm trying mm. to say yes that. yeah and <laughs> I got you <laughs> you got you got me yeah honestly I think that's yeah I think that's really really interesting and that's a quite a unique example I think for a film that's grown into such a franchise and also because it is a horror film and I think that other horror film franchises it's very easy to get cheesy isn't it like yeah and like final destination as well like they they are milked that dead (laughs) yeah well yeah Yeah. and so again i think it's quite i think it's a very interesting example and although it's not my cup of tea i know a lot of people that think it's a very interesting i've never really heard anyone say 
there are too many Saw films. Yeah. Even though I think so, because I, <laughs> I don't like them, or not, they're not my cup of tea. Yeah. But um, I love them. And even that it's gone into like comedy film, because they're in the scary movie, the oh, plot line's yeah. in the scary movie films. So it's something that is so versatile. And that came from an initial risk of giving it a small budget. So I don't think there's another industry like it where you take a singular risk and that can set you up for life as a filmmaker. So if you were the writer of Saw, that one film being successful, the amount of money that it makes and it can establish a career for you, which I think is why it's so interesting to talk to Ben today, who's going to be our guest, because it is literally like, if someone has the talent, all it is is getting funding and getting visibility and then your career's made, essentially. And I think it's so interesting. Definitely. And I think there are so many different ways of doing that as well. And so I hope uh, in our discussion with Ben, we can learn a bit about his film, which is Wednesday in Space, and how he is using different marketing techniques and uh, using a Kickstarter as well to promote his film and hopefully get a uh, get a premiere which will be very Hopefully exciting. it will happen. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, yes, to get a premiere, that is, that is the goal. And we, I say we, this is getting a bit biased, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can cut that out. I mean, obviously, um, but like, you've got to have people who genuinely uh, enjoy the project and like believe in the project because that's half the battle. No one wants yeah, to give definitely. that much time for that little money initially yeah. unless you absolutely love the project. And I think it's so much about passion and so much about self-belief and belief in the person who's made the film. So on that note, let's bring on Ben. Hi, Ben. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Uh, how are you guys doing? Yeah, I'm good. Good, thank you. I feel so close to you right now. What? Also, <laughs> 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 obviously, through lockdown, we've all been apart, but we saw you, Ben, yesterday, and now I'm sat next yeah. to Kate for the first time recording a podcast episode. And it's so strange. It's so weird. <laughs> to the podcast. So before we begin, uh, what are you drinking? I have a big sort of one litre bottle on my table that I've drunk most of now, and it's orange squash. Oh, you're so hydrated. Congratulations. I am. Like most people are 70% water. I am 95. That's such a good way to be. I feel like I, yeah. we spent the day in the sun yesterday. I feel like I'm hungover. I got sunstroke. I feel like I'm like 10% water at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like a shriveled raisin. It's not good for my body. So in the intro, we sort of went through no budget filmmaking and stuff. So do you want to give us a bit of background? Just tell everyone more about you. So yeah, I've been making sort of small films, mostly comedy, since the like a pretty young age. I started out doing sort of just like little Lego animations with a friend when I was like nine years old or something. And then I um I did animate basically purely animation for a long time, uh, and then started getting interested in doing sort of more live action stuff. Yeah, and I made a few short films like before and at uni, which did quite well. Uh, oh, and I I definitely started moving down the path towards comedy being my main thing. And then yeah, I mean I I still I make comedy sketches fairly regularly, but I also uh, like made a feature film last year, Wednesday in Space, and I've done a bunch of directed a bunch of comedy stage shows as well. Yeah, yeah, I think that's about it. Yeah, I bet a lot of people know you as Hudson Hughes, though, Ben, don't they? So, like, explain that a bit more. Where Hudson Hughes came from? Uh, well, Hudson's just my middle name, really. Uh, I just kind of, I, I think I, I always did not know that. <laughs> know that. Yeah, I thought. I oh, yeah, that's why I use it. Oh, that makes so much more sense. I thought you just so like, funny. you know, what's really cool, Hudson. You know what's not cool, Ben. Bye. <laughs> That makes so much more sense that it's your middle name. Yeah, well, that, I mean, you know, that's part of the reason. Hudson's a much cooler name than Ben, uh, especially when you're going into filmmaking. It's a lot more recognisable. And I think I think from a... I was probably, like, 13 when I was like, if I ever became a filmmaker, 
not that I even knew that I wanted to do filmmaking at that time, but I was like, if I ever became a filmmaker, I'd call myself Hudson Hughes. Because um, it's, it's yeah. Well, it's more of a family name. My dad's middle name is Hudson because um, his granddad was called Hudson. Oh, really so nice. yeah, it's a family name. So I'd like to talk a bit about Wednesday in Space, your yes. feature film that you made last year. So could you tell us a bit about its production, perhaps like the beginning of your like beginning the beginning ideas and basically how it came into fruition? I think it actually came about through sort of not giving up on another project, but failure in a way. <laughs> um, I was doing an animated project last year, which I'm still planning to do at some point. And I was, you know, I'm going to sort of adapt that a bit. But I was doing a very large animated project. And then I kind of, because I spent a basically a, the best part of a year on it. So I was really dedicated to that. Like I was really like, I'm going to do this. Spent a whole year working on it. And then it got to some point where I was just I just sat down and sort of worked out the amount of money I'd actually need to f- finish it because I, I'd been thinking about it in terms of time. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of realized that, you know, I was going to be finishing uni pretty soon. And I was sort of like, well, perhaps time is maybe isn't the best measurement for this because if I wanted to, I could just, you know, take two years of my own time to try and finish this thing. So I decided to look at it in terms of money. And I was like, well, with a fraction of this amount of money, I could... I think I could make a feature film. So I put that on hiatus, that project. And I I don't know, I kind of knew I wanted to do something that was sci-fi at least. And doing something set in space felt good. Like I'd thought about doing a stage show, like a comedy stage show or a comedy musical set in space. So I think that's where the idea originally came from. And I I think Wednesday in Space itself as a film could easily be adapted into a stage show. And yeah, I just started writing it around Easter um of 2019 it was quite a process writing it but it wasn't actually writing the jokes that took time i I found that probably the easiest bit it was coming up with a less of a plot more of a style that i wanted to shoot it in yeah and then i just uh i was living with ben who's the uh other producer he kind of became the producer just because he was living with me and i would be talking about this idea i wouldn't choose him but he just happened to be there he just happened to be there convenient (laughs) <laughs> it was, yeah, it was convenience. Nah, um, but he was brilliant because he would just be, he'd be, he was a really great sort of, um, I was about to say soundboard, that's not the right word. Yeah, it is, isn't it? An idea soundboard where you just like throw verbal ideas at them and they bounce back and you bounce back and forth. There's another phrase for it as well, I can't think of right now, but I'm sure I bet there'll be listeners listening just being like, it's this, it's this. <laughs> You're stupid. It's yeah. <laughs> Either way, Ben's very reflective for sound, so uh, yeah, no, he was brilliant. So he, he sort of knew this project already better than anyone else, um, and I felt like it was one where it's quite a crazy idea and there's lots of different things going on. So it's quite hard to explain to people sometimes. Well, it was one that I really struggled to sort of have an elevator pitch for. Yeah, and then I, you know, did my last exam, went home and immediately, um, not a last draft, to be honest. I was still drafting up until the day we shot. <laughs> but I got a decent draft. I was like, okay, this is what the film is. Let's start building the set. And we built a restaurant in space in my garage. I just love that that yeah. phrase. <laughs> a restaurant in a soup restaurant as well in space. In your and garage. I think I think that idea came from stuff like Clerks, where it was the idea of I was like, what what other low budget films have done well? And sort of looking at it where it's like, well, if you can set it in one location and then you just you just play with that one location. And I say clerks, but then there's other stuff like I'm a big fan of Jacques Tati and other sort of um, physical comedy where it's a lot about people interacting with their environment. 
And so I was like, yeah, that'd be really cool if we could just set it in basically one location. Uh, and yeah, the, the idea of just building the restaurant in my garage just was like, I was like, oh, that'd be such a fun idea. That's such a fun idea. So that's what we did. We did. It took a month to build. You know, we, we had some good help from some friends and we managed to get some um, chipboard from a uh, like a company that does scenery for films, uh, Construct Scenery LTD. And they, they, the chipboard they gave me, they just like gave it to me for free because they were stripping it from a film called Father, which is like an Anthony Hopkins film. So they'd just finished the set and I'd, I'd um, drop them an email and then I immediately got, got a reply, like, call me now. And I called him and he's like, you've got to come tomorrow morning because otherwise this stuff's going to the dump. That is so, so I to... like one of those things Mentally. where like the stars just online. Yeah. yeah. And I really messaged him on such a whim. I was like, there's no way he's going to. And then, yeah, it was real luck. And uh, a lot of the set got constructed on, on basically on the first day of shooting. <laughs> yeah. That's so interesting, though, that because you guys just built it yourself. Like you didn't. Did you ever think like, oh, no, like I don't know whether I can build this or you just like yeah we'll just build a soup kitchen in our garage no I never thought that I couldn't build it I I just kind of I was just like well I'll, I'll figure out a way I think that's that's what I've taken away from I always have the attitude if there's something I can't do I can learn how to do it yeah. like I don't think I never think anything's obviously within reason but I don't think anything's really impossible if you're willing to put the time into learn yeah um yeah sure I learned a lot building building the set but I was very sure from the start like I'm going to be able to do this. So uh, could you share with us how much your the budget was for your film? It was £1,500. That is, that is crazy. To produce a feature length film as well that's absolutely I think actually in terms of what you've talked about with um, even just like sort of the the good nature of people for it, like like with um the con- construct scenery LTD, like the fact that they gave you just gave you that chipboard and people, so that you know there's a lot of friends working on the project. The fact that people yeah. gave their time and stuff, I think that kind of collaboration is really important in these perhaps initial stages of someone's film of like of your filmmaking filmmaking career and how that's going to progress further as well. And it, like everyone always says in the film industry, it's not what you know, it's who you know, and yeah. so. I think that it's such a such an organically satisfying way to enter into this world by producing a great feature length film with your friends and having this amazing amazing plot and like the comedy in it and the all of the yeah the stylistic aspects and the illustrations and just all the different layers that you have in this film. Talked about sort of the style and you thought about it. Do you think that style is Hudson Hughes style or it's specific to Wednesday in space? Ah, uh, that's hard to say. I'll have to wait for the next one. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that is... I think it's very distinct style. Like, I don't think... Yeah. And the same with your short that you did um, from Russia with Murder. Like, that was such a style. I can remember watching that and being like, I don't think I've ever seen anything from student filmmakers like that and being like, who is this guy? This yeah. is before I knew you. And it was at a yeah. film festival that we watched it. And I was like, who, who are you? Can we yeah. be friends? <laughs> as well with like, December Heat as well, I think the sort of the comic delivery, I think that that is definitely something that you just naturally have. And I think that you um, integrate that into your narratives that you've written. We'll also post a link to December Heat if you guys yeah. want to watch it. Um, so, yeah, so perhaps, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how your future films progress. I definitely want to make more 
weird stuff. I, I think what I loved about Wednesday in Space is being able to have a variety of jokes in it. That something like December Heat, which was kind of about police officers, had to be a little more grounded, even though it's quite a sur- like a surreal concept for an actual yeah. film. It was quite a, quite a bit more grounded. So the humour had to be, at some points, a little bit more subtle. Whereas with Wednesday in Space, because it's set in this crazy world where, which, because we are not inhabitants of this world, we're just looking at it. I, I can just do anything with that. I'm kind of like, right, okay, this thing exists. As much as the comedy, I almost love coming up with worlds, essentially. I, that's probably the one thing that I'd say is my style. Most things I write, this is including stuff I haven't made yet or may not ever make. All the stuff I've written is very rarely actually set in our world. There's, it's normally got its own world because I really love uh, the process of sort of world building. Well, I think I actually to, to kind of add on to the end of that, just to give people a taste of what, what you mean in terms of Wednesday in Space... Uh, I'm just on your synopsis uh, on your Wednesday in Space at EPK. <laughs> well, essentially, the, the film is about a a regular Wednesday morning, is it, that I'd say, and that where a myster- mysterious stranger has carelessly left his brain matter sprayed all over the bathroom walls. This wouldn't be out of the ordinary for a Wednesday, but this was no ordinary murder victim. This was a boogeyman. And <laughs> <laughs> um, staff are keen not to let interrupt regular service. However, the arrival of her health inspector... Rat exterminators, French rebels, washed-up music- musicians, and a noisy traffic cop named Luca Flat. Nosy. What did I say? Noisy. Noisy. <laughs> noisy. A very loud a traffic very noisy- cop called Luca. <laughs> well, okay, washed-up musicians and a nosy traffic cop named Luca Flat means this will be anything but a normal Wednesday. Da, da, da. Yeah. Just wanted to, yeah, just, yeah, just wanted to get that in there so that people can uh, understand a bit more, like what kind of style exactly we're talking about when it comes to this film but just like that absolute imagination that's just in that in that synopsis like thinking of all of the different roles and different characters that you wrote into it and the different the different parts they played in the story yeah it's just an absolutely sorry i'm just keep complimenting you we're just it's fine girls. Yeah. i'll just keep going yeah. <laughs> yeah tell me more about how great i am yeah uh, yeah definitely but i also think like i mean feel very lucky to have been involved in it because i think that gives me even more of an appreciation for the end product because now i look at it and i'm like i i remember that and it's turned out so amazingly and obviously it was filmed in just five days wasn't it which is Oh uh, well, it was it was filmed in uh, it was was it six it was six okay. days plus an extra day to shoot some of sort of the cosmic adverts which are dotted throughout the film. Yeah. So did you just be like, I only have six days, or were you like, you know what, let's just do like it. We could do this in six days. Yeah. It was mostly because um, I worked on Saturdays, and you know, I worked at the uh, uh, I t- taught theatre on Saturdays. And I didn't want to miss a day of teaching. <laughs> so I was like, let's see if we can shoot an entire feature <laughs> in between two days of work. So I was shattered because the day after we finished shooting, I had to go into work. After after I finished that day of work, after the so I'd been just on my feet for eight days, super intense. And I sat down at dinner with my parents and they were like, when your graduation's really soon. And I'm like, yeah, it's on Wednesday. And then my mum said, no, it's not. It's on Tuesday. I, like, I just, I really don't care. I just, I was so tired by that point. Yeah. 
I love that because I can remember people kept on leaving to like go to their graduations. Yeah. 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 That was fun. Someone messaged me on Instagram yesterday just asking for some filmmaking advice out of the blue. That's not something that happens a lot, I have to say. <laughs> it is now you're famous. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Of course. Hudson Hughes. You didn't yeah. No, it's, it's normally the other way around, to be honest. Um, Help me. Please. Um, <laughs> So I tried to give some decent advice, and that was kind of one big thing that they were asking is, how do you persuade a bunch of people to, like, just just do something like that with you? Like, how do you, which I guess is I sort of... I think I begged you. I don't think you had to persuade. Yeah. I was like, can I come? I think everyone, yeah, wants to be involved. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's that thing, of, I was trying to, it is interesting when you get asked questions like that, because then you yourself are trying to put it into words. Like, what is that? And I guess that part of that is sort of, you know, leadership skills i i guess the big thing is trust that people trust that when i say something crazy like we're going to shoot an entire feature film in six days i haven't really finished the set yet and the script's still pretty rough when i put it like that there's actually quite a lot of trust involved for someone to come along for most of those days and help shoot that film yeah and the fact that i in total we had 25 people help including the people who helped build the set Mm. on other days um so that that was just pretty fantastic and i think you know for a lot of people there's only i mean julian who acted as commissar fleck and also did a lot of the sound stuff um he'd worked on a feature before but no one else i don't think on that set had ever worked on a feature so it was kind of this new experience we're all kind of learning together and that's what I really liked I really felt like we were pushing the boundary in terms of what we had done before as like a group yeah definitely and you sort of spoke about putting it into words which obviously is like when you're pitching and for sales and distribution you have to have the words because people I I remember reading the script and I basically had no clue what's going on and then you were like you're going to be an actress and I was like I'm so confused (laughs) like how is that oh yeah sorry (laughs) no no, like I mean it's amazing but you know when like I was like Ben says does this and I'm like okay but because I know you as well and it is about trust but of course so how have you found like with sort of distribution and stuff and moving it to the next level because obviously I'm guessing you were very focused on the production element of it because that took priority but how has your like mind frame shifted now that we're trying to get into cinemas perhaps as well if you could like outline your your the journey we're like currently taking to get towards that well I, I know since actually starting the film my mind shift mindset I was trying to well, I was already <laughs> forgot what the, my mind shift uh, my, my mindset shift like yeah, so massively that when we were making the film, I did not make the film for any other reason than I wanted to make a feature film. And I can say that honestly, I didn't before we had finished shooting the film, I hadn't even thought about putting it in film festivals. I hadn't thought about trying to distribute it. So that that sort of all came afterwards and now realizing it and this is something to for future projects is sort of really realizing that for distribution and everything like that, that's something you have to be planning well before you shoot it that's something that comes within the development and pre-production you've got to already have a marketing strategy before you actually make the thing so obviously i could say that was a hindrance but you know it is what it is i was never gonna have thought about marketing this film before i'd made it and so i think since that and since like going to talks and talk like just meeting quite interesting people within the industry who have given me some good advice. My mindset has shifted so massively and it was not that long ago that I kind of went, I suddenly was like, I really want to take this to some cinemas. That would be really 
really awesome thing to do and then get it onto streaming services. I think streaming services was something where I was, I was already kind of planning that a bit. I, I think also I was probably quite against the idea of crowdfunding. And I think that's partially just because I didn't really understand it. I didn't really understand the difference between that and almost like a charity drive. I'd been on Kickstarter and I'd seen, you know, there was some really amazing stuff on there. But then there's some other stuff where you look at it and it, it, sure, they're giving you some stuff in return, but it, it does end up turning into a bit of a charity thing that you're not you're, you're not really getting value for money. So you are you are kind of doing it out of goodwill. That's the attitude I went in. Obviously, we're doing a Kickstarter now, uh, which launches in about a week, August 1st. Mm. So as it will be launching as this goes live. No. Yeah, yeah, it will be. Yeah. Oh. yeah. So you can yeah. go and say it's um, out now. Kickstarter out now. Yeah. <laughs> so the people listening can actually go go and find it, which is quite exciting. Yeah. That'd be too um, easy if we gave it to you. Too much like charity. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, we're trying to sort of offer real value for money in terms of uh, people backing us on Kickstarter. So anyone who gives £10 or more will get a digital copy of the film once we've released it on streaming services and then it's sort of up from there uh, and we're doing sort of posters, tote bags, stickers, that sort of stuff I'm designing at the moment. So we set the Kickstarter goal at £6,500, which is sort of the realistic minimum we could that we could actually do what we wanted to do with in terms of take, getting a premiere, taking it to other cinemas and then taking it to streaming services. But you still got to be able to deliver it. Yeah. You can't just go. I'll set it at one pound, <laughs> yeah. um, and then we can do nothing. Yeah, because yeah, we, we exactly. spoke in the intro, like the level of money that the film industry is sort of runs on. So we have a stat that's um, the revenue of the UK film industry in 2018 was 3.45 billion pounds in one year. Wow. And so, for people like in to put it into context. Making a, a feature film for £1,500 is like the square root of a micro budget. Never mind about a micro budget. Yeah, it yeah. is tiny. And even for distribution, six and a half grand sounds like a lot of money. But in terms of film, it's so, so small. Oh, completely. Yeah. yeah, I think that that's one thing that I think people don't often realise is that... Because I even had some people say to me that one and a half grand sounded like a lot of money. And it it just it just isn't like you think. Where do you put all that money within the film? If you've got all this stuff for free, costumes, props, can of spray paint. Like, oh, we need another spare can. Well, I've got to have it by this date, so I've got to pay an extra four pounds or whatever. And just things really rack up very quickly. Obviously, you've got to feed your cast and crew as well. That's a that's not an expense you can avoid. <laughs> like it pretty much just evaporates. Like when you yeah. think about it. Oh, yeah, how many yeah. people it took to make the film as well like and this is without having to provide pay for you know most of the people who were on this well all the people oh, yeah. who were on this film were doing it voluntarily so yeah. the yeah. fact that and stayed at your house yeah completely mm -hmm. yeah and so i think it's and also just to highlight this as well that this film is also award winning <laughs> so would you like to tell us about, about the awards that um the film has been selected for and the awards, awards it's won as well well it, you know there's been a variety of sort of selections and stuff like that um there's sort of the international independent film awards which you know it's not it's it's international it's not like super big but it got a couple of awards it got the silver awards so it goes gold silver bronze and then i, I guess nothing um and uh, <laughs> That's something like really harsh compared to, <laughs> and then nothing. Um, Despair. Yeah, you know, the I got an award for the actual, um, actual like concept of the film, and then narrative design and things like that. Um, and then it got selected for uh, the comedy. 
I'm trying to remember the name now. Canadian International Comedy Film Festival. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think the issue is I'm with all of this. I'm. I, I, it's all become a bit of a blur simply because so much of this has been cancelled because of the pandemic. Yeah. yeah. That it's sort of I, I don't really have those milestones to put on it. It was selected for the um, Tokyo Liftoff Festival as well, which is really nice. But again, you know, disappointing that it's not actually happening. Yeah, and you know, I've got more to come. Um, but I think I kind of, you know, at a certain point was like, right, well, clearly the festival stuff is great and all, but the the, the reason I submitted for festivals wasn't really to try and win awards. It was to, to give me an excuse to go to festivals and sort of meet other people and talk to them. Even better if it's Canada or Tokyo as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. At the end of the day, I was like, well, it is what it is. These film festivals aren't going to be running. So I think it's that concept of... So, someone said to me, the idea of just like building your own house rather than like just going and knocking on the film industry's door for years going let me in please let me in of walking over somewhere and building your own house and waiting for people to come to you essentially and i, I think that's you know i still i'm an art but i think that's the general plan i'm going to go for that hopefully with this kickstarter we can take it to the cinemas and just sort of generate a bit of an audience from that and also just a bit of um, momentum moving into another project, which then we can make you know much larger. And if I did another feature, I'd actually want to be paying everyone. <laughs> <laughs> also to have that, um, that, direct, that sense of direction in terms of uh, progressing with this film and approaching later projects, I think that's really important to have in mind and to have, especially to go from student filmmaking and then progressing on to feature-length films and, you know, a a career in filmmaking it's such a impressive journey and also like to have that direction that sense of direction to be able to progress along it is it's great and it's very exciting it's a very very exciting thing to be approaching I think like and you've obviously spoken how you you've learned on the job and you've gone now from a student filmmaker to an independent filmmaker so how do you think in terms of your attitude towards making films, it's sort of developed from being having a student attitude to now having an independent filmmaker attitude. Oh, that's that's a good question. That's a very Thanks, good question. Babe. It's almost <laughs> like we do this, like <laughs> <Yeah>. occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm probably still in that transitional period, um, but I think it's I think the difference between me now and me a year ago. Because literally, we would have been shooting Wednesday in Space right now a year ago. We have timed this episode so well. (laughs) Yeah, you really have. Oh, my God. Yeah, literally. I think this was my graduation date last year. Yeah, I I think the difference between me now and me a year ago is how far forward I'm looking. Because, you know, when I was actually preparing to shoot the film, I was just looking at day one of shooting. That was my end date I didn't really have a plan beyond that obviously I planned vaguely <laughs> how we chaos. were going to shoot it <laughs> yeah it was chaos but <laughs> I had planned vaguely how we were going to shoot it but I was I was looking at day one because I had a set to build mm. um and that you know there was a lot of late nights and stuff like that it was all looking at that day one day and then when we started shooting it was basically just taking it one day at a time I was looking a few days ahead to make sure that we could actually get stuff shot on schedule and stuff like that, which sometimes happened, sometimes didn't. And then when we finished shooting, I, I took some time off. And then when I started editing, I was looking at the end date. And I was like, right, I want to get it into this festival. So I've got to edit it for this deadline. And so it was never, 
I don't think at any point I was really looking at it in terms of, right, well, where am I going to be in a year's time? And I think that's, <laughs> it sounds, uh, that sounds really wanky to be like, acting like I'm older and wiser, <laughs> rather. I'm 22 now. Uh, but but I think it is that thing that, like, um, being a student filmmaker, there's a lot of impatience. Oh, so I think, I'm a, I think I'm a lot more patient. And that we do have, I genuinely do believe we have a problem with social media about instant gratification, even if it becomes a subconscious thing rather than a conscious thing. So you're always going, oh, my God, this person's doing this, but this person's doing that. And you kind of want to make stuff where you can be instantly gratified, which I think actually leads people to try and rush things um, rather than go, well, actually, I do need another month to really pull this all together. At, at the same time, you do get people who spend so long dilly-dallying around and not actually shooting anything. So I, I think I think it's actually good to have that period of impatience in some ways that you're like, I want to shoot this thing. Let's shoot it next week. Let's just get on with this. Let's do this. Because it's great to have that energy. But at a certain point, you have to slow down. And especially with me talking, if, if I want to make another feature, you know, I'm I'm not talking about, right, we're going to start doing that in three months' time or six months' time. That's more like, okay, where are we going to be in 12 to 15 months? Um, sort of what what's the process between now and then? because that's a lot more man hours I'm able to put in over the next year than I would be over the next couple of months. I think so many people will find that relatable. Like, yeah, absolutely. I, I felt the exact same. Like, I wanted it out because I wanted to know what people thought of it and I wanted, um, like, with social cues, like, I was giving myself deadlines that weren't enough time just for the sake of it. Like, there was yeah. no benefit to getting it out a month earlier other than in my head I wanted it. Probably the biggest thing that if you don't, grab it while you can because you, you can lose that after coming out of university or wherever you've been where you've got access to things because sure it's 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 nice having access to uh having to access to the equipment when i was at uni but i did have some of my own equipment and at the end of the day if you really saved up you you can buy good enough equipment to shoot a lot of these things but one thing that you can't get back if you've missed that opportunity is kind of well you can but it's a lot harder is to find people well i think that's probably a good stopping point for our discussion and i think it's probably left our listeners with lots of different different questions perhaps that they can explore themselves about about no budget filming and as well we're going to be posting all of the wednesday in space the kickstarter and all the, lots of different info about that in with this episode so you and they can message you on instagram then yeah or they can message yeah you on if you want to any... plug all your socials okay here we go, here we go. um <laughs> strap in uh, strap so, <laughs> I, was, I was trying to avoid saying that <laughs> uh, so at hudson hughes on facebook twitter and instagram i post a lot more on instagram than the other two because i'm down with the kids and then at space wednesday on twitter at wednesday in space on instagram and facebook someone took wednesday in space on twitter um not bitter about about that at all not bitter about that at all as i said instagram's my main platform um uh, yeah I, i still post sketches on hudson hughes so there's some funny stuff there Oh, uh, and you can check out some clips of um, I've sort of got eight or nine little 
minute-long clips from Wednesday in Space on the Wednesday in Space social media uh, on Facebook and Instagram, which you can check out if you want to get a flavour for what the film is like. And you can check out the Kickstarter video there, uh, which actually probably took even more time to edit. (laughs) But features your beautiful, beautiful face. My beautiful face for about six or seven minutes. Yeah, check out the Kickstarter, because there's going to be some pretty pretty nifty rewards there, uh, and some even better rewards for people who sign up and back early and share everything and drop some nice comments. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely talking to you as always, Hudson. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That sounded so forced. (laughs) 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 But just for for everyone listening, keep an eye on the stuff that Ben's doing because you're going places, boy. And um, of course, Wednesday in Space, back it, watch it. Uh, tell your friend and your nan and your uncle about it. Um, but yeah, scream it to scream the heavens. It. Scream it from the rooftops. Yeah. Skywriters are recommenders, also. That'd yeah. be cool. So thank you for everyone for listening. Thank you. Yep. Thank you, everyone, and thank you, Ben. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>